0: So we are going to start a new series today uh, based out of the Sermon on the Mount. Hopefully that helped you get a little bit of context of what we're uh, going to be going through. The series is entitled The Better Way. So please turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5 if you're not already there or look in your electronic device. That's where we're going to be going this morning. James Smith, who wrote a book called You Are What You Love, says that we can't help but have this inner desire for something better. To quote him, he says, to be human is to be animated and oriented by some vision of the good life, some picture of what we think counts as flourishing. Do you want to flourish? Well, of course you do. You want to flourish. You want your family to flourish. You want the community of friends and people that you're around. You want your city, your country to flourish. In our vision statement, we actually talk about flourishing, and our vision statement goes like this. We want to be a movement of more and growing followers of Jesus, developing healthy churches for the glory of God and the flourishing of our city and the world. What we're saying is, as you follow Jesus, as you get to know Jesus, flourishing is a natural result of that. The context of Matthew chapter 5 to 7, Jesus recently has begun his ministry, and he's recently called some new disciples to follow him. Fishermen, Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. And as they are with Jesus, listen to the description of the ministry that Jesus had. Verse 23 of chapter 4. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them, flourishing. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So flourishing was experienced as people heard Jesus teach and as they encountered his power ministry, their understanding was to be accompanied by experience. Their experience was to be accompanied by understanding. It was both and. And so after he's done these miracles and people, crowds are literally following him, we read this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he had sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them. A few were there... Uh, Would you come up? Like, would you follow him? Would you be one of the the crowd who went up on the mountain to be with Jesus? Would you have sensed that in him must be that something more that resonates with that inner longing of your yearning for for more, for the better? Would you have come up? And then in what Jesus teaches them, he he proposes exactly that, that he's going to show them a better way. This has been a great weekend. I don't know about for you, but this is, to me, this has been a glorious weekend, just reflecting on our country and the privilege that we have to live in such an amazing nation. Um, we've had great weather, but it's, it's more than that. It's, it's celebrating our history and, and the nation that we've become today. 150 years ago, the, the Fathers of Confederation got together, and, and in England, dis, decided that we would be this nation. And and over time, what evolved was a a constitution and and ideas and a vision about what our country would be about and how it would be governed. And the fathers of our our confederation determined that we'd be a democracy, that we would vote in the leaders of our government, that the laws of the the land would be good for the people. And and so we have these laws of the land that it'll be be against the law to, to steal another person's property. So while you're here... At least it is most unlikely that someone's going to be in the parking lot ransacking your vehicle in, in this moment because that's not what our society is about and we punish those who do. Our, 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 our fathers determined that we value human life and so, so it, it's against the law to murder and we generally don't fear for our lives and our safety in, in Canada and in a city like Abbotsford. We live in predictability and we live in safety. This is good and we, are, we live in a land of good. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 7, this Sermon on the Mount, it's like the constitution of God's kingdom, the rule and reign of God. And Matthew is writing to, the, to Jews, so instead of using the word God, he uses the word heaven. So he's talking about the kingdom of God, but he uses the word heaven because the Jews didn't like to pronounce the name of God out of respect. So Jesus is outlining, this is how the kingdom of God works. And we are infinitely better for it, so much so that Jesus said, Blessed are those. Happy, flourishing. This is what it means rewarded, experiencing good. And and Jesus begins this teaching on the Mount with people that would be willing to come up and hear him. He begins it by telling us what a blessed citizen in God's kingdom looks like. So these are called the Beatitudes, it comes from the Latin word, beatus, a word for happiness. Blessed. This is what we, learn, what we yearn for, to, to, to be blessed, to experience good, to, to flourish. And this is what Jesus promises right out of the gate. It will be his doing. And these are the kind of people Jesus outlines that will be blessed. And as we read it, well, they're different than what we would expect. This is not what we would probably predict. It would not make the top 10 list of, of today. Jesus is showing right off the bat, in God's kingdom, his grace, his blessing reaches to places we would never have thought of. It comes to the most unlikely places. Let me read them to you. Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 to 12. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then Jesus expands on that last beatitude. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad. For reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Through the next few weeks, we're going to take time to go through one or two or, or three beatitudes at a time. This morning, we'll only have time for one. But before we start doing that, Two things jump out at me as we look at these Beatitudes. First of all, being blessed has nothing to do with the material world and what it values. So often, our hopes to experience the good life are placed in what is in front of us, what we can accumulate now, our possessions, how we can make our lives more comfortable, what we can do for recreation. It's different in God's kingdom. That's the first thing. Secondly, blessedness is is something we possess now, but it is also something that we will more fully possess, more fully experience in the future. Only two of the Beatitudes are expressed in the present, the first and the last. The first, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's in present tense. But so many, like blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, future tense. This last, last week, I had the privilege to hold in my arms like a one- or two-day-old baby. And as I entered the room in the hospital, just to see the joy on everybody's faces that were there, and, and, and grandma, and just, wow, this is so exciting. Their, their joy was uncontainable. It was just seeping out of them and expressed in their body and, and on their faces in so many ways. But this same week, this last week, I heard the news and, and some people we'd been praying for a text that a family's, friend, our family's friends, two week old, who'd been fighting for its life had passed away. They are mourning. Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Well, how is, how is that possible? Because this is not all there is. See, when you have the kingdom, when you see the kingdom, what's in front of us and what happens to us in this moment, in our present, that's not all there is. And so we can experience God's comfort, we can experience God's present presence in the now, but but there is so much more for us that we understand because of God's kingdom, because of the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he's accomplished through that, the future that we have for us, that there will be a day who all those who have put their faith and trust in him, their sins will be forgiven, and they will be all united in Christ for a future eternity where there is no pain, there is no suffering. There is only joy in his presence. Then blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. has so much more meaning. The kingdom of God is expressed now and experienced now, but it is more fully experienced in the future. And for that, we must wait, occupying our time well in the present while we wait for the better that is to come. And this can be difficult for us because we are so much people of the now. We are people who have microwaves like you want something hot, you just get it done. We have computers at our fingertips. These things called phones are computers. So we have access to We can play Kahoot in a moment's notice. We have access to information like right now. And our desire for now is so strong, it has to be catered to. Businesses know if you're searching for information or their product online, like you won't go two or three clicks. That's, that's too long to wait. It's got to be accessible right now. We are people who don't wait. Jesus says, blessed, flourishing are people who can see beyond the present with all of its temptations to live for the now. Blessed are those who value the kingdom and the fulfillment of God's kingdom when everything one day will be made right. Those are the citizens who instead of living for the moment, live with a long-term view. Think about that as we watch this video. Later in Matthew's Gospel, he also records something similar to what Ethan just read. Out of Matthew 18, it says, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So using children as a living example, Jesus makes a direct connection between humility and the kingdom of God. And this is so, like humility and poverty of spirit are, are so close to each other. And that's what Jesus begins with on the Sermon of the Mount, right out of the gate. If we go back to Matthew chapter five, the very first beatitude, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What we hear in the beatitudes is not a, a command, Laws and, and commands Jesus will address later. But but the Beatitudes are not commands. They're, they're like invitations. And so let's remember, there's a crowd of people that have come up, some of them up the mountain, as the closer disciples have gone with Jesus. And we know from the end of the Sermon on the Mount that they were able to hear what Jesus was teaching because it says the crowds were astonished at Jesus' teaching. So they are there, and they're listening in. And, and I can imagine, as Jesus is pronouncing blessing, that they are thinking, we want to get in on that. And so it's an invitation to be like that. Perhaps you've been in a situation, maybe at a party or something like that, where you hear somebody talking to someone else, and they're describing a, a situation or, or a person, and, and as you listen to them, you think, oh, I'd like to experience that, or I'd like to be like that. To give you an example, you, you hear a person talking about their adventures on a sailboat, you know how they talk about the wind in your face, the waves lapping on the boat, the feel of the power in the, in the sails of the wind as it dries the boat and it slices through the water. And as you hear their excitement and they talk about it, you go, oh, I want to be a sailor. So when Jesus says, blessed, this person is blessed, those listening would have thought, oh, I well, want, I want to enter into that blessing. I, I want to be like that. And this is what is happening in the Beatitudes. It's an invitation to a better way of being or a better way of living. It's one that is not rule-based, but neither does it it lack direction as to how we should live our lives. What we see here, many have referred to as, as an invitation to character, character that is reflective of God's kingdom, character traits like poor in spirit, meekness, purity, Character traits that prepare us for the kingdom that is to come, for that future kingdom that we're waiting for in the fullness. N.T. Wright says in his book, After You Believe, this is exactly how we are to live between our conversion to Christ and the time when that kingdom will come in in its fullness, that we need to be living in worship and on mission while our character is being developed. And so we need to think about in the interim as we live on this earth that God wants to make us more like Jesus, that he wants to work out his kingdom character in our lives. Wright says this, we urgently need to recapture the New Testament's vision of a genuinely good human life as a life of character formed by God's promised future. So Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It's our invitation. I want to be like that. D.A. Carson, who was a professor here in Vancouver, widely known, traced this word, poor in spirit, uh, through its Jewish Old Testament roots. And he says, poverty of spirit is the acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. It's the conscious confession of our unworthiness before God. It's the understanding, as we sang in part this morning, that, Lord, I need you. I desperately need you. In Revelations chapter 3, in the in the last church that Jesus talks to of seven, there's the church of Laodicea, and, and Jesus says to them, you know, you, you think you're full, that you're rich. They had all these material possessions. It was an economically thriving area, but what happened in their prosperity was that they got their eyes off Jesus and their need for relationship with him, and they became independent of him. So that Jesus has to say to them, You don't even know that you are poor. You're wretched and poor. Ask of me and I'll give you what you need. And Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock to this church. Open the door. I want to come in. I want to have a relationship with you. Don't live independent of me. Realize how much you need me. Blessed, Jesus says, are the poor in spirit. To be poor in spirit is not to devalue ourselves, but to recognize our deep, deep need for God. And I just want to say this morning is it opens up all of the kingdom to us. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Humility is the pathway. Understanding our need for God is the pathway. It's, it's the entrance into all that God has for us in his kingdom. I want to be like that. So we only had a little time to talk about it this morning, but how do we get there? Well, I think we need to value it. We need to value what God values, and we need to look to God. If we keep our eyes on God and we look at him and his greatness and his majesty, it doesn't take long until who we are becomes in in the right perspective. That we are valued creatures in God's sight, but we are desperately needful of him. So Jesus told the story in Luke 18 of of a Pharisee and a tax collector. The Pharisee talked to God about how good he was. The tax collector beat his breast and say, oh, God, be merciful to me. That is the one, Jesus says, that will be heard, that God will look to. So we look to God, not to others. We don't compare ourselves with others. We look to God, and in that we find, oh, God, how I need you. And then we allow him to work that in our lives. And I think the way that that happens is just by going through life. You're going to have all kinds of circumstances where you can exhibit poverty of spirit, where you can exhibit that I need to depend on God. And you can also make it a habitual practice. I realized as I was going through this that I I don't do it as much as I used to. But every morning, I used to, to start the day by saying, God, I can't do anything without you. And repeat the words of Jesus in John 15, where he says, without me, you can do nothing. But to start our day and live that way, and as we go through circumstances, instead of trying to fix it and work it out in our own resources, is to turn to him and say, God, I need you, and allow him to work in our lives.